Okay, good morning. So I'm Ron Hamner. Uh, Becky and I joined as Covenant Partners back in October. And uh, since I had experience teaching Sunday school in the church we came from, uh, Rob and Tom asked me to fill in for them and pinch hit. And so I appreciate you all putting up with me. Um, I'm going to teach from, uh, I'm, you're the test class here. I'm trying to write a Bible study on prologues in the Bible. And so you're going to be my guinea pig class here. And so why would I do that? Well, in literature, prologues are used to introduce the story so you can get a context to understand the story. And uh, in the same way, prologues have been used in the Scripture. So the Holy Spirit, in inspiring the Word, has used these prologues so that we get context to help enhance our understanding of, of God's Word, His creation, and His plan for us. But it's not just one prologue. There are several prologues in the Bible. For example, the Genesis chapters 1 and 2. John uses prologue in his gospel and in the first verses of Revelation. But prologue is not necessarily at the beginning of the books. I think, for example, that the uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat, is kind of a prologue in telling us about what happens when Christ comes into the world, when her son came into the world. And in fact, prologues may be the last verse so the last verse of Judges, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, was really a prologue to the historical books about the kings and about the kingdoms of Judah and, and Israel. So uh, that being the background, I'm going to read for us a prologue, and I want you to think about some words that apply to Jesus Christ as I read this. There will be a quiz. Uh, okay, John 1, 1 through 18. You'll get your chance, Jay. Uh, we have lots of readings, but I'm going to read this one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came forth as a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He, that is John, was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name who were not born, not of blood, as were not Jews, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. 
glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we all have received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him, God the Father. So, when we think about this in the reading, and they're descriptors of Christ, did you hear any? How do you get to work better? God. Life. Witness. Life. I got room for one more. Eternal. That was very good. So everybody gets a hundred on the quiz because um, there's no correct list. This is what I saw in here: uh, Word, God. Maker, creator, maker, light, born of God. So it talks about that relationship with God. Made flesh, giver of power, grace, and truth. He's a giver. There's a, actually a novel called The Giver. Uh, okay. So... I like to put us into context, and to do that, I would like to use um, a little scene from The Chosen. Now, The Chosen is a crowdfunded, basically donated series of programs, tev television series in a way, that talk about Jesus, and it's historical fiction that looks at learning about Jesus through the eyes of the people around him. And uh, it, it's historical fiction, but it is, it, it, it's really very good, uh, I think. So if I can get this thing to work right. No, nope, I didn't want to do that. There it is. five books of Moses. Okay, the, the, the background of the scene is that this is after Jesus had seen and met with the woman at the well in Samaria. And then he spent some time in the Samaritan city. Now we don't get the details about that, and so this is the historical fiction part of this. 
But the scene is set up that, that Christ has um, been invited to read the Torah at this city, in the synagogue in the city in Samaria. And he's talking about the choice of selection with John. The entire uh, episode this time is really a flashback from when John is trying to put together the writing of his gospel. And so this is a flashback scene that he had. And so... And no more. Oh, wait a minute. They're missing out. What's happening here? See if I get this. I might be a little bit technologically. Um, so it's coming up on mine, but not here. Okay. There we go. Not on so much. Yes. But we have to start somewhere. What do you think I should read? Maybe Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to it. Or Balaam hitting his donkey when he was mad. Don't I'm torment me. They're getting restless out there. So, do you have a favorite passage from the first five? Um, do you? I don't know. I like them all. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> I suppose I, I love the beginning. Mm. I love how God simply spoke and, and the world came into being. Yes. As David wrote, by the word of the Lord, the, the heavens, heavens were made. You know, the Greeks use word to describe divine reason, what gives the world form and meaning. I like that. <laughs> and it is a favorite memory. A reading from the first scroll of Moses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. And the earth was void and without form. And the Word 
was with God. And the darkness covered the face of the deep. And the word was God. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I just thought that was a powerful type of uh, image. So let's keep on going. That gives you kind of a background and kind of connection between Genesis and John's gospel. And while that was historical fiction, I think it was true to what could have happened. So in the first two verses of John, Jay, you might want to read the first two verses of John 1. There are a couple of terms that come out, and they're important terms. You want to read that again for us, the first two verses of John. John 1, 1 and 2. All right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Okay. All things come into... Now that, that's fine. Thank you. Without him, not one thing came into being. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Okay. So there's two terms in there in Greek that are important to know. One is archae, and one, the other one is logos. Arche is a word from which how we get archbishop, archetype, things like that. And the word in Greek is rich with meaning. In fact, Greek words tend to have extensive meaning to them. So each word is rich. Hebrew tends to be pictorial. Um, that's why it has a, a rhythm, a music to it, which is why when you see people reciting Hebrew scripture at the Wailing Wall, they're rocking, they're keeping time with what they're reading. English tends to compress all the words together. So when you say love, well, that might be like, it might be lust, it might be agape love, it might be friendship, it might be uh, preference. You see, Greek has a lot of, lot of context. So the word arche here means the authority, the source of authority, the primary, the prime meridian, but also it's a source like the headwater of a river. So arche means not only the beginning, but it's also the source from which things proceed. In the beginning, in arche, was not only the authority and the source of everything, but 
whatever proceeds from it. And that's that's much bigger term than just saying, oh, well, when time started. See, it's not only before time. It was some of that from which time proceeds, life proceeds. The creation proceeded from this. And it implies that there is continuation. The headwater of a river doesn't stop once it puts some water out. It continues to flow out. That's the term in Greek. Logos. And that's the word for beginning. That's what, that's, yes. And in fact, the word Genesis in Hebrew, which is really kind of transliteration of the Hebrew, was translated by the scholars of the Septuagint who translated Hebrew into Aramaic and Greek. They did it into Greek. The Greek word they picked was in Arche for Genesis. So those scholars picked that same word when they translated Genesis into Greek. Logos is a rich word. It means rationale and reason and planning. Uh, it, Heraclitus was a Greek philosopher in the 6th century. He viewed Logos as the cosmic power of reasoning. Philo, who was a Jewish uh, philosopher at the time of Christ, said that it was the agent of creation. But it's more than that. The Gnostics looked at it as an agent of creation, which there were emanations, eons of emanations, of which Logos was one of them. But John helps us to clarify that. The Logos is rational reasoning that is active in doing things. So it's not just a word, it's not just logic, but it is logic in the word that is active, that has person to it. It's not random, it's not inanimate. And so those are the words. Memrah is the Aramaic term, of course the, the Hebrew goes the other way. So that's M, uh, M, R, and then that's Aleph there. That's the Hebrew, but the Hebrew goes you know, right to left. And so it's the same type of thought even in Aramaic and Hebrew. So we think of the word as being just spoken word, written word. But their thought was the word was something that was active, creative, but rational, made plans. And so let's look at this and see what we have. In the beginning, in Arche, was the word Logos, and the Logos was with God, Theos, and the Logos was Theos. He was with God, Theos, in the beginning. So what does this really teach us? What does this really teach us? Well, First off, we need to understand that this says that God is made of more than one person. The Jehovah Witnesses have it wrong. God is made of more than one person. Because there is a distinct parts talked about here. Okay, there was a word, it didn't say the word 
word and God are synonymous, but the word was God in the same essence. But there's some differences. So this really speaks towards the Trinity. But it also speaks that what made, was made flesh is not just a man who was elevated, but was God. So it's the deity of God that is expressed here, of Jesus. Deity of Jesus that is expressed here. Um, so, this, this doctrine, though, is different from those who say that Jesus wasn't really God, or the Gnostics who say this is an emanation in all flesh is evil, and therefore God would not be coming in contact with flesh, was really talking about how it all works together, which is an amazing mystery of what God, who God is. So in the beginning, eternity, this is another word for eternity, but that which emanates from it, that which comes from it, that streams downstream from the headwaters, was the word, the logos. So let's learn a little bit more about this by reading some scriptures to give us a scriptural context. So I need some reading here. Okay. Okay. So we have to have a bunch of readers, and we'll, we'll have a little question about each one of these readings. But I need to have some readers who read nice and loudly because we're scattered throughout the room. And this is recorded. So I need a psalmist. Okay, I need an Isaiah person. Oh, I, okay, I'm sorry. I'll, it's up here. Isaiah, I'm sorry, 7, 13 through 14. The psalm is what was quoted in the little vignette. So Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. The psalm, and then the other people can decide what they want to read later, but let's, let's start with those two. Psalm 33, 6 through 11, what was quoted in our little scene. So the question that I have is, what was the function of the word in God's creativeness and in his creation? I mean, it's kind of an obvious question, I guess. Yes. So it wasn't a passive force. It was an active force. It wasn't like saying, well, I'm just going to uh, throw this shovel of dirt down here as a foundation, and there it is, dirt. No, it was active. So the creative force of the word, Jesus Christ, was that he made the world, but it was active. He, participated, he was a participant in the whole process. He wasn't just a passive 
member of the creation of the universe. Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. So how does this prophecy speak the eternality of Jesus and his earthly purpose? Who gives the child? God gives the child. God is eternal. And the child also has a purpose. And that purpose is... Emmanuel. Emmanuel? God with us. And so there's an eternality as because God gives the child and that child is God with us. And the purpose of the child is to have God with us. It's not just a, a facade. It's not just a spokesperson. It's not just, you know, an advertisement. That's how we would do things. But God, the eternal God, as a child, is God with us. I mean, the very concept can blow you away. Okay, I need a Proverbs person who likes to be proverbial. Anyone? Okay. Anyone? Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. You got it. Proverbs 8, 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from the everlasting from the beginning wherever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While, he, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part, Thank you. So how many of you realize that the Proverbs had the creation story? There it is. In Proverbs, the book of wisdom, the creation story. And just think about this. How does Proverbs describe the word's role in creation and the response to having had, have done the work of creation? Yes, and my translation does too. So you see, this tells us that God the Father and God the Word, the Son, 
were together. That's eternity, because God was outside of creation before creation was even done. It tells us that Jesus is the craftsman. Now, what did Jesus do when he was on earth? That's right, he was a tecton. He was a builder, craftsman. Lava was stone. He must have been well built. He must have been strong. But he also did wood work too. He was a craftsman. That carries forward, doesn't it? Okay. So the eternal purpose is there as well. And the purpose is what does a craftsman do when they're going to build something before they start building? They make a plan. But the Proverbs tells us, who made the plan? Was it the craftsman or was it God the Father? God the Father. God the Father made a plan. You are in that plan. I am in that plan. And Jesus crafted it all. He crafted you. He crafted me. He crafted the world. Now, you know, the world has, is broken. But when he crafted it, he crafted it complete and perfect, didn't he? Fulfilling God's plan. Even the horror of the cross. Okay. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We have three more readings. Colossians 1. So I, I found three things in this that, talks, that helps us to understand better John 1 and 2. First off, what was Christ's role in creation and continued role in creation? He followed plans. He created all things and he glorifies God, but what else in creation does he do? He rules it. He holds it all together. He holds it all together. We don't think about that, do we? If Jesus didn't hold us all together, we'd all fall apart. I mean, literally. We'd fall apart without Jesus emotionally and spiritually, but he holds us all together. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. Spiritually, Christ holds us together. Without Christ, there's no holding together. And he does this also as being the head of the church. So, not only did he make it, 
and hold it together, but he has a role for us and a place for us in the church, and he is the head of the church. That's what that's really talking about, bless you. He's the head of the church who is holding us together because he made us. Explain that concept of the firstborn overall creation. Does that mean that Jesus was created? No, it doesn't. It, the role of the firstborn in biblical culture was to keep the estate of the father together. That the firstborn would take care of the rest of the family. He would, if, if, if all the estate was divided up against everybody, then everybody would end up with a little tiny piece of land. But if the firstborn did his job correctly, which was to be in authority over the state of the father, then he would keep all the land, he would make sure all the siblings were cared for, and he would be in authority over the state, just as Christ is in authority over all of the world. So you actually anticipated my second question, which is, <laughs> What is Christ's position relative to the creation? And as a disclaimer, she was not a plant. Okay. I mean, she's my wife, but it was not a plant. So, you know, Christ is the firstborn, the arche, remember. Arche, he is the preeminent authority from which everything flows out. Remember the Greek richness in the term. Who presents to us what? Why did God even send Christ into the world so we could see him? To reconcile. To reconcile, but what is the purpose of us even having someone to see? To help us know God. To help us to know God, because he presents the image of God. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. Now, we don't have... You know, a statue of Jesus out there. It's not like Julius Caesar where you have a bust of Jesus out there. But it's still the image of God, which tells us that the image of God is more than just a statue. Isn't it? It's a person. It's a personality. It's a caring. It's a relationship. And so the third question from Colossians, which was really a rich text, what is God's purpose for God, for Christ, regarding creation? What is the purpose that God gives to the Son regarding creation? And we've already alluded to that, right? Reconciliation. And how is that? Through the cross. Yes. So Christ is the head of the church having been indwelt with the fullness of the invisible God that he made visible to us to reconcile to God all things. Christ is to make peace with the invisible God for us through the blood shed on the cross. That's what it talks about. So when he became flesh... And he was God. He came into our world not to make peace with me or you, 
but to make peace for us with God the Father. Well, we're going to have to hurry up now. We've got last two in John 17, 1 through 5. Okay. your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him now this is eternal life that they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Okay. Thank you. So, who really benefited? Okay. Who really received the glory for Christ's creative work? And what was the purpose of that? There's two answers. There's a God answer and there's a people answer, right? The God answer is is for God's glory. Glory is a word that means something that's really weighty. (laughs) It's heavy. That's what we used to say back in the college days, I guess. He's not heavy. He's our brother, except God's our father. But for what purpose? God brought glory to God, to God the Father. Jesus brought glory to God the Father so that people may have eternal life. Somehow, reconciling us to God the Father so that we can have eternal life brings glory to God the Father. I don't know why. Doesn't make sense to me. We give glory to God by being reconciled and given eternal life. Doesn't seem to be logical, but it's logical in God's logic. Okay, do we have time for revelation? I don't think so. So, <coughs> you, you can, no, I, I, I think we're, we're out of time for that, so... I want us to talk about uh, implications. What is our context? We have this prologue. What is our context? So while we do not have time to discuss these questions, I give them to you to think about. What is the implication that our being, our being alive, being people, not only starts with being created by God, but continually proceeds out of the sun. Today, now, in the next hour. We continually proceed out of Christ. What does that imply for your life and my life? We need to think about that. How do we hear and read the word of God if the word is flesh? I mean, how does that happen? Right? Well, we hear and read it by looking at the life of Christ. And emulating that. We're called to emulate Christ. Okay? 
How important is such hearing and reading of that word flesh, the word in flesh? Well, without the word in flesh and hearing what the word in flesh teaches us, both in words and deeds, we would have no idea about God. We would be like ants, going around doing whatever we do. So if someone comes down and stomps on an ant hill, the ants don't stop and make a temple to the boot that stomped on the hill. You know, or if the ants find a new treasure of picnic food, they don't make an altar to the picnic basket. We do, because we have God given us his word in flesh so that we can hear it and read it. In the last two questions, I just like the way the animation works, actually. Why is it important that we know and understand Jesus to be the word of God, to be with God, and to be God? What's that really about? Jesus, the Word of God, was before all things and created all things and is now in all things. So what's your response to that? This is the same Jesus that we sing about. What a friend we have in Jesus. And Jesus is mine. What is the implication that the creator of the universe, the expression of the invisible God to us, is also our friend? Our big brother. Does that mean that God is personal? And that relationships really are important? And that God chose to reveal himself so we would know that relationship so that we, through him, can have eternal life and be reconciled. So we're out of time. We have to clear out to go to church. But I have a little prayer. Again, I thank you for participating as guinea pigs in my trying to write this uh, Bible study. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord and sustainer of life, thank you for making us and maintaining us through the living water that proceeds from you. Help us to remain content in the shalom that you give us because you continually provide for our shalom. Open our hearts and eyes to receive you as creator and also to keep you as friend, for you are indeed an awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen.